0: Hey, well, uh, happy New Year! I'm gonna try that again. Happy New, Year. happy New Year! Thank you, thank you. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, you did it. You're here. Uh, Chad was alluding to this earlier. I'm just gonna am just gonna come out and say it. Uh, because you came to church on on New Year's Day, you're more holy than the people who didn't. Um, <laughs> No, I'm just kidding. That's actually not true at all. Um, Hey, if we haven't had a chance to meet, my name is Derek, uh, and I'm the community director here. And and we're just so glad that you're here with us this morning. Um, If you've been here with us prior to now, then you'll know that we've we've been walking through the book of 1 Corinthians for the last several months. And then we took a little break uh, for the season of Advent, and we spent four weeks in Advent. And we're going to jump back into 1 Corinthians next week. But, but, but today, we're going to sit in, in John chapter 4 and spend some time talking about this, this familiar story of the woman at the well. And, and I love this story for, for, for several reasons. First of all, we get to see, we see Jesus as evangelist in this story which is just a really beautiful picture of him spreading the good news. <clears throat> we, we also see um, we, we see this, this brand new believer, this woman whose life is changed, and, and then God uses her immediately to bring renewal to a town. She, she, she gives testimony to what Jesus has done in her life before she's even been to a Sunday school class or sat in a church service right? And so it begs the question, like, if, if, if God could use this woman to bring revival to the town of Sychar, what, what could he do with me here in this place? So I love this story. And one of the other things that I just want to draw attention to here is that everything in this book, every story that's in this book is is not a fairy tale. It's not a, it's not a myth. It's not a legend. It's it's actually true. There was actually a woman who was, who was adulterous and living very far from God who met Jesus, and then her life was flipped upside down. That is true, right? She interacted with people in real places. All of those things are historical and true. So, so my, my hope for us as a church Is is that as as we leave this place and we walk our city, that we would be known for having eyes that see the people around us. But but my my specific hope for us this morning is that the Spirit of God might 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 deepen our love for the lost in our city. So I I, I'd I'd love for you to pray for me. I'm gonna pray for you, and then we're gonna jump into this story, Father. We need you this morning. God, we need you to offer clarity to a, a text that may be familiar. Make, make it new in our eyes. God, we need you to, to convict us of sin. And, and, and God, I, I just ask that you, would, that you would give us eyes for the lost in our city. Father, that you give us eyes to see them the way that you see them, as your creation. God, as we, as we look at your word I just ask that you would give me clear words to to talk about it and and open our hearts. We we need your presence this morning. Amen. Amen. We'll open up to John chapter 4, and we're going to start in verse 3. It says, He left Judea and departed again for Galilee, and he had to pass through Samaria. Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, so Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting at the well. It was about the sixth hour. I want to draw your attention to a couple of details in the first few verses of this story. The first is that Jesus is traveling here from, from Judea to Galilee. And this would have been a, about a 60-mile journey on foot. Okay? And these are not two random places in Jesus' life. Remember that, that Jesus was born in Bethlehem, which is, which is within Judea. And, and then he was raised in Nazareth, which is, which is in Galilee. So this trip that he's making between these two cities is not a brand new trip. He actually made this trip for the first time when he was a, a young child with his parents going to Nazareth. The, the second thing that I want to draw your attention to, and I think I have a map here for you, is that verse 4 says that, that, that he had to pass through Samaria. Samaria that he had to pass through Samaria. And, and that's, that's really interesting language that, that the scripture uses there because the reality is most Jews would not have passed through Samaria on this journey. They, they would have crossed the, the Jordan River into Perea and, and, and headed north through Perea and then crossed the Jordan into Galilee. And you're going, well, why? That, that feels out of the way. That feels confusing. And, and the reality is, is that the Jews didn't want to have to interact with the Samaritans. They didn't even want to walk through their country. And so when Jesus says that he had to, to travel through Samaria, we just have to pay attention. Because most Jews wouldn't have. The, the, the last thing that I want to draw your attention to in these first few verses is that verse 6 says that Jesus was wearied from his journey. And, and any time that the Bible tells us that Jesus experienced human weakness, it points to something significant. And, and that thing that's significant is that, is that when, when Jesus came here to dwell with us, he, he, he took on human form, which means that his body had human weaknesses, Right at this point, Jesus had, had traveled nearly 30 miles from Judea to the well. So he would have walked for several days, sleeping outside. And so when he sits down at the well and is tired, this is not like end of the day, spent Christmas shopping kind of tired. This is like blistered feet, cramping calves, chafed legs, exhausted, deep thirst kind of tired. And any time that scripture points to the humanity of Jesus, we just simply need to sit up, pay attention, because it, it matters. It matters. Let's, let's look back at the story and see what happens next. This is verse 7. It says that, that a, a woman from Samaria came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, give me a drink, for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a a woman of Samaria? for, For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. And Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that's saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. And the woman said, Sir... You have nothing to draw water with and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself as did his sons and his livestock. So again, let's just, let's just pause and, and reflect on some important pieces in those verses. The first is this. Jesus initiates this conversation. Jesus is sitting there, he's tired, he's weary, and he looks across the well and he sees this woman and he says, hey, can you get me a drink? So, so why is that significant? Well, well, that's significant because if you're here this morning and you're a follower of Jesus, it means that Jesus initiated a conversation with you. It means that, that, that Jesus pursued your heart Because he's always the initiator. The the second thing I want to draw your attention to is that this, this nameless Samaritan woman shows up at the well in the heat of the day. It's said that she was there at the sixth hour. That would have been around noon. And this is significant because each family would have had to come to the well every day to gather water for the day. And 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 most of the time they would have come to the well in the morning or in the evening when, when it was cool and it wasn't hot. But, but she chooses to go at noon, the heat of the day. And so you're going, why do you think she wanted to do that? Well, I, I think that she was trying to avoid people. Right? This would this would today's equivalent would be like like going to Walmart um, on, on a Saturday afternoon in Norman when OU is playing right? Like, no lines, limited human interaction, which we can giggle about, but the reality is, is that it points to a, I think it points to a deep shame that this woman was carrying, that she didn't want to see anyone. She, she wanted to quietly go to the well and come back alone. Now, I, I don't want to add uh, things to this text that aren't here, but I think that we can infer a, a, a small detail in it. It said earlier that that the disciples of Jesus were heading into town as this woman was heading to the well. So what that means is that it's likely, it's possible, that the disciples actually crossed paths with this woman as she was coming to the well. And when they crossed paths, she would have been expected to step aside so that the disciples could pass. And again, I don't want to add something to the text that's not there, but uh, it feels very likely that the disciples who were not particularly pleased about traveling through Samaria to begin with might have thrown an unkind word toward this woman. And I say all that because it's important to know that uh, I believe this woman shows up at the well with a bit of a chip on her shoulder already. She's she's going to the well in the heat of the day so that she would not interact with any other Samaritans. At least those are her own people. And and here she is having likely crossed paths with a group of Jews. And then she sits down at the well, and and there's another Jewish man sitting there. These these human interactions, these real places matter. And and I just want to draw your attention to them. And what happens next is really interesting. Jesus offers her living water. And you can kind of see the chip on her shoulder here when she responds because she just automatically assumes that, that he's talking about fresh spring water. And she's like, wait wait a minute. Are you saying that you're, you're smarter than Jacob and Joseph? You're smarter than all the people who've lived on this land for generations that, that you know of some fresh spring that they've never, that they've never had? All of the generations before now who lived near this land drank out of this well, and here you are saying that you found something that they couldn't. So, how does Jesus respond to her in that moment? Look at verse 13. Verse 13 says, Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks, Of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never thirst again. The water that that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up into eternal life. And the woman said, Sir, give me this water so that I may not be thirsty or have to come to this well and draw water again. Finally, Jesus offers her eternal life in this moment. He's pointing her to this living water, and, and for the second time, this woman misses the point. Right? She, she jumps to another conclusion that says, Wait a minute. If you can give me living water that I would never thirst anymore, then that means I don't have to come to this well again. And if I don't have to come to this well, then I don't have to try to avoid people and feel the shame of judgmental looks and, 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 and people looking at me knowing uh, that, that I'm not worthy to be there. And so we can read this text and we can go, man, how did she miss the point two times in a row? It, and I just want to say that like, if you were in her shoes, I think we'd all probably make the same decision. Right, Jesus, I'd love to follow you as long as you're going to make my life easier. I, I want to follow you as long as you're going to relieve any of the pain uh, that I'm experiencing. Well, uh, you may know how this story goes on. Eventually, uh, Jesus prophetically names this woman's sin, and it's at that moment that he gets her attention. He goes on to say that, that he is the Messiah that, that, that they've been hearing about. And it's, it's in that moment that, that she changes. And, and she leaves the well and she runs home and she, she gives testimony by, by, by saying, come and meet the one who has told me everything that I've ever done. So if, if, if you have, have grown up in church, then it's likely that nothing that I've shared thus far uh, feels new or uh, particularly profound. There are lots of different sermons that can be preached uh, out of this text, right? some, Some themes that come to mind is like Jesus cares about the promiscuous, or uh, the, the presence of Jesus changes everything, or, or even Jesus cares about racial reconciliation. Like, I, I would sign off on any of those, but, but th- this morning, I want to take us in a bit of a different direction. So I have kind of my sermon in a sentence, uh, and, and I'm going to give you a warning. There's going to be a test later, so, so pay attention. Okay, my sermon in a sentence goes like this. God sovereignly uses our humanity to advance his mission. Let me say that one more time. God sovereignly uses our humanity to advance his mission. See, see, God sovereignly placed Jesus at the well so that he might cross paths with this woman. And Jesus was tired. He was thirsty. He needed a break because his human body was weak. So, so the result of, of God's sovereignty and Jesus' humanity was this lost woman sitting in the presence of Jesus. So, so let's define some of these words. Let's, let's talk about the word sovereignty. Listen to Acts chapter 17, verse 26. I'm gonna start uh, at the end of 25. It says, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything, and he made from one man, that'd be Adam, every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth. This is where it gets good. Having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place. Let me say that last last phrase again. Having determined allotted periods and boundaries of their dwelling place. So, so what this means, what this means, what God's sovereignty here means in this room, on January that all of you would be sitting here in this room on January 1st, 2023. And, and he knows that some of you are here because you're visiting friends or family. He knows that some of you are here because it's the first day of the year and you're trying to turn over a new leaf. He he knows that some of you are here because this is your church family, and he even knows that some of you would really prefer to be sleeping right now. He also knows every person that you're gonna to talk to this morning. He knows who you partied with last night, and, and he even knows who is gonna sell you the supplies to your New Year's Day charcuterie board this afternoon. Right and, and, and listen up, according to Acts 17, it's not just that he knows it, it's also that he determined it. He determined it. So, so what does that mean for our passage this morning? Well, it means that it's not just that God knew that Jesus was going to meet this woman at the well, although he, he did know that. And it's And it's not just that that he knew that this woman was destined to be a follower of Jesus, although he he knew that too, God's sovereignty means that he orchestrated the whole thing right this this woman showing up at noon, Jesus passing through Samaria rather than through Perea, even Jesus' thirst, God knew and orchestrated it so that so that so that he might advance his his purpose and his glory. So for us, on January 1st, 2023, our perspective should change when we remember that every single person that is in our path has been put there intentionally by the hand of God. Right, And I think this is really easy to think about and believe uh, for, for those that we love, Right, I think it was Rascal Flatts that wrote like "God bless the broken road that led me straight to you." Right? Yeah, I got some nodding heads out there. Okay, like um, that's a really easy theological bandwagon to jump on, um, and yet, and yet, yet this is this is something more. This is actually saying that it's not just your loved ones who God brought into your life. It's every single person. It's the strangers too. It's it's your barber. It's the person who changes your oil. It's it's that kid who bags your groceries. Right? According to Acts 17, every one of those people in your life was placed there intentionally. So how does this change the way that you attend your daughter's dance recital? Or how does this affect the way that you attend your son's soccer game to, to know that, that the, the person sitting on your left and the person sitting to your right was placed there intentionally by the hand of God, right? We, we can lift our eyes and see that we're called to be God's ambassadors. And, and all of a sudden, you being at that soccer game or at that dance recital is, is, has much more purpose than just supporting your Your kid. As I was preparing the sermon and thinking about that concept, I was just flooded with memories, shameful memories, of of moments that that I have missed the ball with people that God's placed in my life. Opportunities that I've squandered. And I found myself wondering, and maybe you're sitting there wondering the same thing, am I even equipped Am I even equipped to engage the people around me as God's ambassador? And and I want to give you a a couple of what I hope are are comforting reminders. The the first of which is that according to 1 John 4.13, if you're a follower of Jesus as you abide in him, he abides in you. He abides in you. So, so what that means is that the, the, the person sitting next to you at that dance recital, by, by, by them sitting next to you and God residing in you, they are exposed to his presence. Right? I'm thinking about different professions in the room. I'm, I'm thinking about even our teachers. Right? Even if our teachers are, are in a classroom and they can't or don't uh, teach the gospel between the bells, just by mere, their mere presence in the lives of these students, they're experiencing them to the love of Christ. Right? And my hope and my prayer is that we as a church, that we as followers of Jesus would live a life where, where the people we interact with would look at us and see the way that we treat them, the way that we treat our families, the, the way that we use our money, the, the, the way that we approach our jobs, that they would look at us and they would ask questions like something is different about this person. And, and our, our only response, the only way that we can ask, answer that question is, is by giving testament to the transformative work of Jesus in our lives. He dwells in you as you dwell in him. My second reminder for you this morning is, is that you have a story to tell. If you are a follower of Jesus then you have a story to tell, just like this woman had a story to tell. And some of your stories are, are uh, they might feel like they have more fireworks or they're more exciting. Some of your stories, uh, maybe you met Jesus when you were a young child and you're going, well, my story feels a little bit lame. Let me say really clearly that if you're a follower of Jesus, that means that he's, he's removed your heart of stone, replaced it with a heart of flesh, and, and that's a miracle of epic proportions. You have a story to share that God has equipped you with. So so, so, so don't sell that short. That's that's what this woman did. She she had knew very little, and, and yet she met Jesus, and God used her to bring renewal to this whole town. He abides in you, and you have a story to tell. Now, this is the moment that the test happens. Do you remember my sermon in a sentence? God sovereignly uses our humanity to advance his mission. So let's talk for just a second about the word humanity. When I'm using the word humanity, I'm, I'm referring to human weakness or, or human limitations. Right? I, I said this earlier, but, but Jesus chose to take on the, the limitations of a human body when he came to live here. Right? So the, the obvious piece of humanity that God has used in this story is, is Jesus' thirst, his weariness. We, we know that Jesus, while being a 100% man, is also 100% God, so he could have sustained himself, right? He, he didn't necessarily have to have water, and, and yet he chose to. He, he chose to be limited by the human experience, and so uh, he sat down and asked, so again, what does that mean for us? Well, I was, was having a conversation with a, a good friend of mine recently, and he was, he was telling me that whenever he buys gas, he, he always goes into the gas station and pays inside. And, and if you're anything like me, your first thought is, oh, this guy must be a serial killer. <laughs> that's, that's, that's bananas. Why would you ever go inside when you could just pay at the pump and drive away? And so I, I, I was talking to my buddy, and I said, "Man, what? Why do you? Why do you do that? That's weird." And, and, and he came back and said, "Well, I, um, I'm, I'm trying to have repeated interactions with the gas station attendant." Okay, all right, I, re- I repent, I repent. Um, and, and 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 what my what my friend was putting his finger on, I think, is really interesting. See. See, we all have limitations, right? Like, like, as people, we are limited. We can't just operate from place to place. We, we have to get in a car, we have to drive our car from place to place in, in this current cultural moment we live in. Right, and in our, in our, our vehicles, they, they need fuel and they need uh, maintenance and, and they need to be cleaned. And so what that means is that we have gas station attendants and mechanics and car wash workers that are floating in and out of our lives every single day. And so if we, if we take that truth combined with what we just talked about in Acts 17, it means that, that all those people that float in and out of our lives are not there accidentally, they're actually there purposefully. Right? Our bodies have limitations. We need food, and we need exercise. We, we need health care. We need to make a paycheck. We, we need all these things, but what that means is that every day we have baristas and wait staff and mechanics and doctors and nurses and coworkers and kids and friends floating in and out of our lives. And, and again, like none of that is accidental. It's actually being orchestrated by God. So, so my, my question is, is what would Yukon look like if we walked in full recognition that God is actually using our human limitations to advance his mission? Just like he used Jesus' thirst to spur on this conversation with this woman. Let's 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 look at what happened to this woman's town. When, when she met Jesus. Verse 39 says this. Many Samaritans from that town believed in him. Why? Because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So, so when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them. And so he stayed there for two days and many more believed because of his word. See, this this woman, this woman who was afraid to come to the well while all the other people were there, who, who chose to come to the well in the heat of the day so that she could avoid other people, meets Jesus and runs back to her town and immediately tells the story of this man who told her everything that she ever knew, who, who told her that she's the Messiah. And she says, hey, you have to come meet this guy. And, and then the people in Sychar, they, they, they ask him to stay. And what does Jesus do? He stays for two days and teaches. And then, as we just read, many people believed because of her testimony. This woman who just met Jesus and if, if, if God can do this through her, what can he do through us in this city, in this town? Right? This is the mission of God, friends. This is, this is experiencing the, the transformative work of Jesus, telling those who God places in your path about your transformation, and then, and then waiting on Jesus to grow the seeds that you're planting. This is the mission of God. I'm reminded of a friend that I have. He's he's a a member of this church, and he has befriended one of his coworkers. And and this coworker is a a man who uh, he he spends all day with. They actually share a classroom together. And at at this point, they eat lunch together. My my friend has actually been in this other guy's home for dinner. he's, He's, at this point, shared the gospel with him. And the interesting thing about, about, uh, about my friend's co worker is that he's a refugee from Afghanistan, meaning he wouldn't even be here if not for the, the broken circumstances in Afghanistan. But he's here, and he's teaching alongside a, a member of this church, hearing the gospel, and being exposed to the presence of God through this man in our church. And I, I don't know what's going to come of this. At this point, uh, this, this man has not professed faith in Jesus. I, I don't know what's going to happen here, but, but I know that we can trust God. We can trust Jesus to be faithful. And, 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 I, and I pray that there's like this beautiful uh, renewal and revival in, in this man's heart because of the witness of, of this guy in our church. Just, just, like, just like the woman at the well's heart was revived and changed, and then she was used in this town. So if you're here with us this morning and, and, and you don't know Jesus, if you hear anything this morning, know that you're not here on accident. Even if you think that you might have been here on accident, you weren't planning on coming and then you did, that wasn't an accident. That was, that was God's sovereign work. And it was in a, in a service not too different than this 25 years ago. That, that I realized that I was living in opposition of my creator God, and, and I needed the grace offered to me through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. So, so if you're here this morning, and, and, and you don't know Jesus, and, and yet you feel in you a lack in, in, a, in, in, in the weight of, of, of disobedience to your creator, then let me just say, man, we, we're gonna have people in the front that would love to pray with you and talk to you about the claims of Jesus. We will answer any questions that you have uh, and we'll spend as much time as we can with you. We, we just want to pray with you and, and hear your story and talk with you about, about what Jesus has offered to you. And if you're here this morning and you are a follower of Jesus, then, then your challenge is this. Friends, lift your eyes and see the person on the other side of the well. Right? There, there's, there's no lack of lost people in our city. Right? You have the spirit of God residing in you and, and he's given you a story to tell. So lift your eyes as placed in your path. Would, would you pray with me?